0: What's up? And welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, episode 100, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. I am Dave. Hey, I am, not <laughs> I am Pat Sheehan with my co-host Dave Martinson. We we're about to switch it up today. Man, I-, I was too excited in that in that intro, but you know, it's, it's our last podcast of the year, our hundredth episode since we started.
1: Yeah, feels well, good. Well, we're gonna post this in 2018. The mysteries of pre-recording, but yeah, our last pod of 2017. Good year of content hashtag content. Yeah, and if you've enjoyed
0: our content that we've given to you, please hit subscribe on YouTube. Go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and help us out with a review on iTunes. Get the pod wherever you can and share it with your friends. Help us grow. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for all your support this year. We're gonna be talking about the year that was 2017 in movies and we have a lot to talk about. Why don't we start with the trends like we have with every best of the year pod so far what was the trend that stood out most to you about film this year the film industry
1: well i think one of the most reported on trends i mean that's got a lot of burn online especially was by the poor box office especially in the summer we talked about it a little bit in the fall but uh it was the worst august in like 10 years or so in general it was down you know year over year the fall buttressed by it being a surprise hit and then you know stalwarts like thor and Coco, Justice League, and Star Wars help kind of catch it up. So, twenty seventeen year isn't done yet at the time of recording, but twenty seventeen isn't like that far off from twenty sixteen. It actually could probably still catch it. But yeah, overall, it, it was worrisome for sure, especially the summer where you're supposed to have all your big tentpoles and money makers. Yeah, it was a super up and down year. Like I was trying to think about
0: what were the movies that really caught the year. And at the beginning, you had. Get out as a surprise movie that really captured a hold of the population's interest. And then you had Logan, which everybody knew about. Yeah, a big movie. Supergirl you had Beauty movie. and the Beast, big mm-hmm. movie. And then it was kind of a lull until Wonder Woman. It really felt like. And then after Wonder Woman, there were some movies during the summer that were good and entertaining. Logan Lucky, Baby Driver. But you didn't really have another hit until it. And that was really what saved the box office at, up to that point. And then it's been one after the other since then. Thor, Justice League, which it was a big movie, made, brought in a lot of money. Not necessarily a good movie. Star Wars, obviously. And just all the Oscar movies that have come out to helped the box office. But yeah, a really up and down year for the box office. How much of this do you think is affected by just the way that we take in entertainment now? Like streaming services, yeah, on-demand movies.
1: Things like that. Yeah, exactly. I think that that is exactly one half of it. Is that just there's more competition for people's time as podcasters? We understand that, you know, trying to get people to listen to us talk during yeah. the week is a tough ass. You know, everyone has things to consume, and there's a lot of competition for everything. And movies are not the end all be all as much as they once were. Peak TV, we talked about throughout the year, of course. Check out our best uh, TV episode, SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod, three weeks ago. But, you know, there's just more competition, and some people are willing to see less movies in theater, especially as ticket prices continue to remain at a high price. And, you know, the whole, oh, let's wait for it to go on Netflix, or we'll wait for it to get on demand. We'll just rent it, you know, the three of us. and It's much cheaper. So some, you know, unless you're really motivated to see something in the theater people seem to be more inclined to wait these days but you're still seeing movies that are well received bring people in get out even split came out around the same time good movies bring people in baby driver another great success the other half of the coin i think is that audiences have less tolerance for mediocrity or certainly bad movies because there's more you know competition for our time why would i spend money to go see something that I know is not that good. Rotten Tomatoes and Cinema Score have such high profiles these days; they get so much attention. Heck, they're even marketed when they get good marks. You know, mm-hmm. there's all these reasons that tell you not to go see something. That you know, the combination of time, money, and quality might motivate people not to go. So, I think overall, especially I mean, if you saw this last year. Remember, like the Legend of Tarzan came out and didn't do that well. Why was that? It wasn't that good. The Dark Tower this year was, you know, the biggest movie on paper for August. Wow. Yeah, I mean, overall, quality is definitely a big part of it, too. And I think you'll see, you know, moving into 2018, Black Panther is coming out in February. Aquaman's coming out in December. And it was a September smash this year. The calendar is being more diversified as people are trying to pick out, you know, studios are trying to pick out their spots where they can try and capture the audience. But over I mean, competition is tough. I think that's really what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, we were going back and forth a little bit on Twitter about this yesterday, but there really is such a – there's such minimal attention that – You can give to something, and I think a lot of times people, when they come home, want to just watch whatever is easiest. They don't want to think about, all right, I just got home, not to get my car, drive somewhere else, go sit in the theater, drive back home, spend I don't know twenty bucks on tickets and water. It's a tough ass I think sometimes, which is why the quality wins out. But it is just it's easier. Like I rented Good Time recently because I I wanted to watch it before we talked about it this week. It was six bucks, and I have it for thirty days. I can watch as many times as I want. I can watch it again. I can watch Mm -hmm. it on my own. It's so such a easier experience to do something like that though you're not experiencing it with the rest of everybody else um
1: that brings me to another point in the case of good time good time was not in the theaters that long good time was a very cheap movie to make so good time is not depending on a big box office return you look at the the hits this year superhero movies continue to dominate continue to make all the money animated movies continue to be very reliable very bankable you know just kids movies you know there's just consistent demand for those And then, apart from that, you know, what what seems to have been bankable recently, the Disney remakes, playing rare nostalgia and that. But other than that, the the hits we keep seeing are these cheap movies that are greenlit because they're not a risk. Get Out and Split this year, uh, big examples. We're seeing less, you know, like Logan Lucky's movies that cost like $50 million because, you know, you see that those movies, it's hard to get people to go all in on stuff that there was absolutely a demand for, you know, an 05, you know, a mid-level movie. I uh, think of uh, 2016, The Nice Guys. Well-received movie, mid-level movie, totally bombed the box office. Why was that? It's tough to get people to show up for that kind of stuff so unless it truly gets the buzz like a Get Out because it's so excellent. Generally, the more expensive movies are the ones that are going to win out just cuz people are more tuned into them.
0: Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about like A24 how they just absolutely killed it this year a lot of uh, highly acclaimed and, and well-reviewed movies I, I think it just makes more sense to either go in the direction of something small and hope that is a hit and hope that people will pick up on it after the fact after it's not in theaters or to just go super big and just throw as much money as you can at it to get a huge draw like like star wars for example you know something like that which is just huge budget looking for a huge return it's I mean, I think they needed like eight hundred million dollars just to break even on their investment, or something like that. Was what I heard.
1: High production because intense marketing. Yeah, it's a. I mean, that's Justice League wasn't profitable. You look at the money it actually made. It's not a profitable movie because the thing costs three hundred million dollars before you factor in any marketing. You know, right? I mean, if you're trying to talk like long-term macro stuff, blockbusters probably should cost less mm-hmm. if you want to have more successful blockbusters. The Fox deal, the Fox. It hasn't gone through, of course, but it's been agreed upon. Fox wants to get out of the entertainment business, specifically making content. They're a major studio or soon will be or will have been a major studio, but they're having a tough time competing and scaling up and when you give all that IP to... Uh, Disney the ones who you know can't really fail right now it's going to be tough to compete in the blockbuster space
0: yeah well and you think about like we were talking about streaming services and, and Netflix this year dropped three movies that I think are worthy of any top 10 list Okja the Meyer Meyerowitz stories and Mudbound you can market those so much easier much cheaper than you can a, a movie that need, you need to go to the box office you just put it Uh, on the screen when you sign into your account it's right there you see it you know it's coming i mean it's it's definitely going to be a changing landscape in the next couple years and and we'll definitely have to keep our eye on it it's interesting the the role movie pass plays into all of this because you think about what we've been talking about the home movie theater experience and like being able to see movies that just were just released at home but you have to pay for that like a subscription like yeah uh, the the streaming room right Yeah. yeah
1: it's high cost
0: Movie pass is basically like a direct way to like fight back against that and that's why I think so many theaters buy into it because they profit off of selling extra tickets when you bring people along they profit off of food they profit off of all like the little pieces that are added into it they need to get people into theaters and I just don't know if movie pass can be able to do it but I'm gonna enjoy the hell out of it as long as we have it
1: exactly yeah I mean what was AMC's big gripe when movie pass got all the big press when they dropped the price it was that it's going to condition people. To want to pay less and less for movie tickets, and the movie pass inevitably fails, it will negatively affect the business overall because more or less people will be buying tickets full price again, which is a you know I think it's a fair, fair criticism. He's got to hope movie pass can stay alive because movie pass is paying full price to the theater, so they're not losing any money right now. It's you know kind of a long term uh, you know principle right. at the moment. I mean, I was hitting a career high in times at the theaters before movie pass, but I mean I've since gone nearly twenty times in two months. So yeah. It's ridiculous. Pretty great.
0: Any other year-end trends that you wanted to mention before we move on?
1: We've already been talking about it, but you mentioned A twenty four and Blumhouse. They're the, obviously they've been killing it in the horror game. They make horror movies at a specific price. They know how to market it. and They know you know what's a good horror movie, and you know they have that lane. Don Pat, Split, and Get Out are from Blumhouse. Anna Perna, though, they got the the U.S. distribution rights to James Bond. It w- it was previously with Sony. Warner was in the mix, but. Uh, MGM and the Bond, you know, uh, Eon, they went with Annapurna and that's 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 nuts. So good for them because, you know, that small distributor that's less than 10 years old getting a huge win in the blockbuster space, international distribution still to be determined. So that's really cool. Yeah. And then speaking yeah. about Netflix, they just released their first quote blockbuster film, Bright, with Will Smith and Joe Egerton, directed by David Ayer, written by uh, Max Landis. And uh, it's not good, not well-received at all, yeah, I was gonna say. but it really depends on, uh, you know, Netflix never released their data, but how many people will have seen that? They already commissioned a sequel, despite the, all the negative buzz. So, will Netflix truly be able to continue to make movies at that scale? Because a lot of the movies they've been putting out thus far, you know, the Joe Swanberg or War Machine or Brad Pitt the movies you mentioned before, they're all cheap. Will Netflix truly get into the blockbuster space? Remains to be seen, because Amazon, uh, in the same boat, they more or less have been putting out smaller, uh, later fare. Something to keep an eye on.
0: They got that De Niro and Al Pacino uh, movie coming out, supposedly, I think it's either next year or the year after, so they, they got to make it work. The Irishman, it, like, yeah. Huge, at least huge budget. I don't know if it will be successful. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting year, and it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be interesting to like see how the landscape changes in terms of how people are consuming movies and how theaters respond and, and try to get people in while we jump into our list though i know that you've seen a ton of movies i've seen like the low 20s this year and i had a bunch of honorable mentions i guess i wanted to start with maybe like the big ones i decided not to put on my list but i had a hard time leaving these ones off my top 10 was not easy i left off star wars spider-man and thor which spider-man and thor i had originally lumped together i was going to cheat a little bit and do like a top 11 just throw them on as a sure. guy but they were all excellent movies i think in terms of what i was looking for and what i noticed in my in the trend of my my list was looking at the stories i found were more moving and more and more personal to me something that i found it to be more interesting was the the human stories this year rather than like the large superhero outer space type stories and that's why they didn't make my list, but I really enjoyed those, and I have a feeling probably more than the human stories, I'll, I'll be coming back to those ones uh, as rewatchables. Just right. in terms of excellence, I didn't think that they quite made my list. What was something that was an honorable mention
1: for you? Yeah, I had a I had Thor at fifteen, uh, so Thor was Thor was definitely close for me. Yeah, so I've been seeing a lot of the uh, Oscar bait recently, so uh, just missing my list eleven and twelve. I Tanya and The Shape of Water.
0: I can't wait to see I Tanya.
1: Yeah, I Tanya is really fun. There's some tonal stuff that is kind of weird to wrap your head around. That I don't want to spoil. It has to do with Tanya Harding's upbringing. There's domestic violence plays a big part in her, you know, her, her story. But the movie's kind of a dark comedy, so it's doesn't always work with the performances. Margot Robbie and Allison Janney is absolutely amazing. It's just a really enjoyable film. Uh, the Shape of Water from Guillermo del Toro. we got our guy Michael Shannon
0: in it, of course. Yeah, he was basically reprising his role from Boardwalk Empire.
1: Yeah, of course. <laughs> just being <laughs> a sleazeball, really. And Sally Hawkins is great. She plays a mute. Yeah. It's interesting because The Shape of Water, without saying anything, I just think it's, uh, it's kind of muted. No pun intended, despite the fact the characters are mute. Like, you get the main point, you get the themes by the end, you understand, but it just seems like it it could have been bigger. It's tough to say without spoiling, but it's not to say it wasn't what I expected, I just think it was a little more reserved than I, I thought it would be. Like it could have been weirder.
0: Oh, it definitely could have been weirder, but uh, it came in at number 10 on my list, actually. So oh, nice. A good okay. So to jump in. I thought the score and just the way it was shot was absolutely fantastic. Shout out Richard Jenkins, who I thought was fantastic yeah, uh, in it was this good. movie. And, you know, I, th- I think the reason I put it at number 10 on my list is because I was thinking about, I, I talked a lot about moments in-, in the past reviews, like parts of songs or TV episodes that really grabbed me that scene where she finally is able to speak and it goes into like a nice dance routine it was just such a like wonderful and like joyous moment and i think the story in terms of not only the way it portrayed someone with a disability and a woman with a disability right. which yep. was uh, in the really 50s at that nice to see yeah and well i think it was the early 60s but regardless doesn't really yeah. matter it also it was a really nice story about like finding your place, the extent you'll go for love, and just like acceptance of diversity in, in a lot of ways, and and not being afraid of others. And especially with the sort of year that it's been politically, I thought like ending the year on this kind of note was a really beautiful sure. message. So I made number ten on my list, but I don't I don't blame you. It's, it was a stacked year, so being in your honorable mentions makes a lot of sense. Before we move on, I just wanted to shout out two other movies that didn't make my list, but totally could have. They're both Netflix movies, Okja and The Meyerowitz Stories, which I mentioned before. Adam Sandler and the Meyerowitz Stories is fantastic, and I think just for that fact, it could have made my list. I haven't really liked the Adam Sandler movie uh, that much in a long time, Um, and Okja was like so moving, and it almost made me become a vegetarian, so... (laughs) <laughs> definitely check okja out in my, the myro stories i mean ben still is in that one too and so is dustin hoffman it's a stack cast good directors from yeah those movies. the the safety brothers and oakja actually didn't write down who that was
1: no it's the guy i made Snowpiercer.
0: oh right right i know
1: it's it's not the Safties, it's noah bomback
0: right no sorry i was i was getting confused with <laughs> uh good time because i saw both right. of those very recently so what were your other honorable mentions for move on
1: oh yeah just quickly coco from pixar actually He's one of the strongest Pixar entries. Really moving, especially at the end. Pleasantly surprised with that. The Disaster Artist is uh, really funny, really well done. Uh, James Franco, between that and the deuce, great year for him. Having a moment. Oh, for sure. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Excellent acting. You get a lot of nominations for that. Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, even Woody Harrelson. Uh, quite good i'm kind of rooting against it in the oscars it's there's been a few early award shows where it's done really well at the expense of other movies it's not my pick per se i think the acting is really good but the story kind of takes a downturn in act three but i mean a lot of people have it like top five so you know it's tough to argue with it Win River really liked that's another movie that had a, a short release in August didn't make a whole lot of money but you know, Jeremy Renner really good in that uh, and then lastly All the Money in the World I just saw really interesting story about the uh, Getty kidnapping and uh, Christopher Plummer does a really good job despite the fact that he wasn't in the movie until last month so, uh, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite enjoyable.
0: Yeah, that, that's the first entertainment piece that's really, I think, been affected by the sexual misconduct things. I mean, they had to basically reshoot that in
1: a month. Yeah, month before release, they did all the reshoots in nine days. So, very expensive proposition getting everyone back and rushing it through. But really, Scott's a pro in that regard. And it... uh the movie was not uh, hurt by it. That's great to hear. What was your number ten?
0: What, what made, what did make your list?
1: Right. So you know, I was toying with Itania and Shape of Water for number ten, but I ended up sticking to my guns with what I originally had with number ten. And that's Baby Driver from Edgar Wright. It came out in uh, June, and I, the reason I went with Baby Driver, I just think it's definitely the most rewatchable of the three, and it's such a uh, enjoyable ride. No pun intended. Ah. The presence of music in the movie we talked about in our review in the summer. Check that out. The presence of music is so unique and so refreshing and Ansel Elgort surprisingly was a, a good part of the movie yeah so yeah, i'm just a big fan of it in terms of it's it's very old school action movie vibe something that's not that common these days it was a little expensive but it, it fits the middle movie vibe something that we don't have that much anymore so i'm happy the movie was a success obviously edgar wright has a reputation as a you know unique director and it certainly shines through in that movie and, you know, despite Kevin Spacey's presence in the film thing overall, it's uh, really great.
0: Yeah, I had it on my honorable mention list. I-, I was hoping you'd talk about it. The soundtrack's probably my favorite soundtrack of the year. It was very unique, but the movie was just a lot of fun and it left me thinking about it a lot more than I expected it to, especially because Ansel Elgort, I-, I don't think it many people were, had high hopes for him. In- right. In- in this, so definitely good to see. Number nine on my list was The Lost City of Z. So this is a movie i saw at home i didn't see it in the theaters but i don't think it took away from the experience at all james gray was excellent as, a, as director in this charlie hunnam what an up and down year for him he had a huge yeah. flop in what, king, king arthur. arthur and then comes back with with this probably won't get a best actor nod but he was phenomenal in this i, I come back to the scene of him in the, the room with all the men like saying why he needs to go back on this thing and like
1: Spring. Best scene in the movie. Fantastic,
0: yeah. dude! Just electric. And also, Robert Pattinson's gonna be on my list twice. But what a year Fuck for him! Yes, dude. he was fantastic in this movie.
1: Right. So Robert Pattinson, you have to admire his ability to, and his his choices to step back and not be a leading man for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was in Harry Potter briefly, and then of course the co lead of Twilight Forever. So he was right. very famous for not the best reasons, you know, acting wise, but then a few years ago in The Rover, but then this year in Good Time and uh, Lost City of Z, being basically unrecognizable in terms of what you expected from him as an actor. Mm -hmm. Really commendable. You know, I don't have enough good things to say about him. Yeah, Lost City of Z uh, came in at number 20 for me. I also, like you, watch it uh, recently. It's on Amazon Prime, so definitely check it out for free, of course. It's funny because we talked about seeing that movie back in, I believe, April, and we never made time to go see it most people didn't it made under 10 million but i think it, it should have a second life because it's getting a lot of good press
0: yeah definitely and you know it's an exploration movie and i think the way it explores not only like the, the indigenous lands at the time which i mean the mm-hmm. like, the costume design and setting is, is amazing but also just like the way it explores this person percy closet right. which is phenomenal I, I can't say enough about this movie
1: What's cool about it is that it's an adventure movie without like the, the swashbuckling, you know, yeah. fights in Indiana Jones stuff, which is great, of course, but it's not that kind of movie. It's more reserved and realistic, I guess you could say. Uh, and then, it, interesting thing, actually, when I was uh, reading about, about, you know, Fawcett, you know, the, re, the, re, the real story, of course, apparently T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, asked to go on expedition with him in the Amazon, but was uh, refused. Wow. So interesting, you know, little tidbit there.
0: Definitely interesting. Fun facts. Steve's <laughs> spitting the facts here, folks. And number nine for you. What do you got?
1: Number nine for me was another movie that I saw on uh, a streaming service, Mudbound. We talked about it recently. Ah,
0: Mudbound. That's a tough end, dude. I, I keep coming back to that last scene that we talked about on, when we reviewed SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, and like makes my stomach turn every time I think about
1: it. Much like 12 Years a Slave and a, a lot of other movies about the plight of African-Americans, in the pre modern times. Not the most fun movies to rewatch again. But that being said, I think it was definitely worthy. I mean, you know, I, I thought about uh, do I wanna take this out for like Itania or something, but no, I, I again stuck to my guns. I think the performances, Garrett Hedlund, Jason Mitchell, and Mary J. Blige especially are great. D Rees as a you know, a new director, the touch is, is great, the, the period piece setting works really well. And I, I like the themes. I really reject A.O. Scott's comments and the times about it being just about white guilt i I don't think that's something you should think about going into it i think it's absolutely worth everyone's time Mm -hmm. i don't think it's going to get a lot of oscar love you know might get some noms but yeah i hope everyone watches it because netflix really wants (laughs) really wants it to be a a, a a award darling so yeah what'd you think
0: I think you you hit the nail on the head. The performances were just fantastic. Jonathan Banks as like the most believable yep. racist and most like hateable person on earth. I love Jonathan Banks going into that movie. I left being like, ah, I don't know about this guy so much. Mm. I mean, he, he's fantastic was, as Mike Ermann It was a little, a little
1: too, too believable. believable.
0: <laughs> but no, overall, the, I think the fact that it made me feel the way that it made me feel is is a good thing. And I think that it's very deserving of a top ten list. I think for me, my experience with this movie was. A little bit affected by the fact that I was at home. I think it would have been an amazing experience in theaters. But I think overall, as a film and just as a story, it's just wonderful. And like you said, the again, the performances just can't really say enough. What was number eight for you? I'm wondering what's going to be on this list here.
1: Yeah, number eight's probably the first, quote, Oscar-bait movie I saw. I saw this in early November, and that's The Florida Project ah. from Sean Baker. Sean Baker has been making movies a long time, but he really busted it out in a 2015 for Tangerine. Got a lot of press for being shot on an iPhone 5 or iPhone 6 or something. But yeah, The Florida Project is, man, thats a it's a really powerful film. It's expertly crafted. It's about poor children and single moms living in hotels in Orlando, Florida, right next to Walt Disney World. Hmm. And this is interesting because this kind of ties back into our early discussion about trends. This movie... Wouldn't have been able to get made without Willem Dafoe being the one big star to help uh, sell the movie and market the film. And Willem Dafoe's been getting a lot of best supporting actor attention for good reasons. His performance is really cerebral. And But really, the, the breakouts of the movie are uh, Brooklyn Prince, the uh, seven or eight-year-old girl, Mooney, who plays Mooney. Man, she's a really sassy, charismatic little kid. I'm hoping she uh, stays acting as she mm-hmm. continues to grow up because she clearly has it. And then also her mom uh, played by Bria, can't read my handwriting, Vinalti. <laughs> and it's funny because Sean Baker found her on Instagram. She was not an actor. Again, this just like the kid, they're, they're, it's their first movies. She hung out with Drake and stuff and shout out her clearly winning overall the movie especially as it comes to a conclusion it'll definitely take you to a place that few other movies can this year it's already kind of waned it's you know run at the theaters so it might be hard for you to check out these days but definitely do because you're going to hear about it a lot as oscar season ramps up
0: yeah Willem defoe better or worse performance than him as uh green goblin uh better
1: <laughs> you can't Pizza not, not uh, man, that much. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I that's one that I, I meant to get to. I actually planned to get to, but circumstances stopped me, which mm-hmm. I, I won't go into on the pod, but You didn't have movie uh, pass. I enough. definitely had that in my list. I do not have movie pass on, or I would have just snuck away and done it. Number eight for me, a movie that we reviewed on the podcast. Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Denny Hell yeah. Villain Wave, right? Oh new. Oh fuck That's so close. Come on, guy. That's so number we're, six for me. I was gonna ask, but it had to have made your list. You know what I think about this movie? Uh, I have like three very vivid memories of it. The ending with Ryan Gosling laying on that thing and basically being like the original Ray's parents were nobody like uh, moment of the year. Hey,
1: fuck yes, dog. <laughs>
0: the n- number two was just like that scene where he's on that island and when he's like or not island but that planet, he's trying to find Harrison Ford's character, and it's just like all yellow and yeah. like sandy
1: that planet's earth by the way that was las oh, vegas well
0: uh, that, that planet it was unrecognizable to me the third part that was just the score it stuck with yeah. me so much dude it was such a masterclass just in filmmaking and using other parts other than the acting which was phenomenal too Ryan Gosling killed it i thought Jared Leto was great and Harrison Ford reprising his role was fantastic overall just a really wonderful sequel
1: yeah i I, I incredibly agree absolutely
0: (laughs) incredibly agree
1: incredibly agree (laughs) (laughs) i think the cinematography it's probably my no it's definitely the the best cinematography of the year in my opinion yeah the colors the use of colors is is so good roger deakins hopefully will finally get his oscar after like 15 noms for best Mm -hmm. cinematography i'm worried he'll lose to dunkirk (laughs) Uh, but yeah and playbook 24.9 is interesting because it costs like a blockbuster and was marketed as such yet it underperformed the box office due to a long running time yeah actually i actually probably wasn't marketed as a blockbuster the marketing was very mysterious to get the cards close to the chest so mm-hmm. in that sense it was kind of underserved but i think it's a little like in the 90s domestically 90 million so that's a not great considering how much it cost but that being said it's the critical acclaim ultimately is what matters because uh You know, Denny has his has his reputation on the line, and he's on perhaps the best movie run of any acting director right now. But he's like five deep now, and he's gonna be tackling Cleopatra and Dune next. (laughs) Like he's fucking ambitious as hell. I love it. (laughs) But yeah, uh, Ryan Gosling's uh, character, the arc he goes on in the film is uh, really powerful. I really like the themes of the movie. I I think it'll it'll definitely sit with me over time as the. uh, the plot maybe get hazy but the colors will definitely remain and the, the feeling i uh, watching the movie won't go away absolutely what was number what did you do eight did you do number seven yet i didn't do seven let's do seven though. number seven was logan ah james mango
0: number three on my list nice
1: again that's another movie that i uh, initially had as probably as high as three and then i you know had to rejig the list a little bit i decided to have blade Runner just ahead of it logan obviously, shows what you can do in the superhero genre. It's obviously, said that when we reviewed the movie. Everyone said that, but it's true. Not only is it rated R, but it's such a personal, character-driven superhero film that exists within a universe, the Fox X-Men universe, but isn't hamstrung or reactive to that universe. It doesn't show you the fact that Charles probably killed all the X-Men just kind of alludes to it on top of that it's such a fitting send-off for a character Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine since 2000 you know it's been such a long run and the fact that he could go on such a high note was was amazing and then of course Daphne Keane, yeah another young actor in her first real movie absolutely steals every uh, scene she's in and then with that scene where she finally actually opens her mouth and speaks yeah uh, she's talking mile a minute in Spanish man what a fantastic film. I'm so happy that James Mangold finally was given the chance to really make the Wolverine movie he wanted to because right. his last effort, The Wolverine, which was uh, with with uh, Hugh Jackman, of course, but it was the one in Japan, that kind of had the studio coming at the end. That's where he had that like dumb fight with the samurai robot thing at the end. So mm-hmm. they finally were given that the train wheel's taken off. Hey it's okay, make the movie you want to make, and I'm glad that they finally got that chance because the results speak for themselves.
0: Yeah, and I think that that was why it was so high up on my list. You know, I have one other superhero movie on this list that we'll be getting to in a second, but I think, you know, the superhero genre, in, in a way, was I think can become very stale and very... Like, it basically just becomes the same thing. Like, there's three parts, there's a villain that you don't really know much about, the hero, you meet him in the beginning, goes through this arc feels like he's not going to be there then he comes through
1: yeah you, you know what someone means when they say a marvel movie.
0: it's formulaic this was totally different and i think what this means and we talked about this in the pod before but what this means for super, superhero movies moving forward is that you can take more risks and you can try to tell different stories about superheroes and you know deadpool was was this way in a sense i guess suicide squad also was this way in a sense but yeah, this it was still is, pg-13 though right but this one really pulled it off and this one i think is what will leave superhero movies to gain a lot more legitimacy moving forward and this is definitely going to get some nominations i mean i could see hugh jackman getting a nomination for this maybe i mean he was pretty good i mean there's been a lot of really good male performances this year but
1: i don't think he sneaks in he obviously he's worthy you know if the class was expanded i'm trying to think like is there something they could realistically get like even nominated for i don't know it's hard especially for a movie early in the year
0: maybe like screen adaptation
1: adapted screen it is an adapted screenplay old man logan comic yeah maybe that'd be absolutely awesome if they could get that although
0: i just think it was just such a well-done movie and for being so early in the year and sticking with me this much i had to put it that high up i'm just going to jump right into my next movie on the list which was wonder woman wonder woman again you know talking about the superhero genre i was looking for something different i think i think i even talked a little bit about on the pod in the past how feeling like superhero fatigue like there's always superhero movie out i always had to be thinking about this new superhero wonder woman was not only a huge win for dc they needed that more than anything else this year they
1: needed justice league to be good which it was we talked about it was eh.
0: the production time the timeline
1: different you know it's, it's a pre-wonder woman dc movie that just happened to come out afterwards exactly
0: i think on a, on a larger level creating a female superhero that people can actually latch on to and people said you know It was well-received and really liked. Pag Jenkins was phenomenal. It pushed feminism forward. It made Chris Pine have the year of his his fucking life. It was a fucking awesome movie over, I mean, just as a a whole. It was uplifting and fun, and I'm so glad that Wonder Woman came out because I think it's going to also help pull different types of stories. I mean, they're talking about, what, the one with Batgirl and, like, Harley Quinn. Gotham City Sirens. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of different stories being told because Wonder Woman is successful. I think that gives a lot more leash for those kind of stories.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think that's true. I think everything we talk about for Wonder Woman is kind of about what Wonder Woman represents, what it means, right. how it makes people feel. It's not really about the film itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, at the end of the day, it has the, the CGI villain, CGI right. end of, you know, the third act, but we forgive it because everything else is so strong. We like the rest of it so much, which is fine. I had that as my number two superhero movie, but after Thor. Uh, I, I just, I think I liked Thor for personal enjoyment more, but obviously Wonder Woman's much more influential.
0: So, where was that on your list overall? It was 19. 19? Wait, so, it was third because Logan, right? Oh, sorry, third, yeah.
1: Logan was seven, Thor was 15, and Wonder Woman was 19.
0: Something else I just, I just didn't even mention, but Gal Gadot, I mean, is fucking. Right, gonna be huge she's phenomenal and i see her just dominating moving forward so shout out to her but you you are right i think when people talk about why this movie is important it's not so much the movie itself but what it represents Definitely. which
1: is fine you know it's well and good it's well deserved what was your number seven?
0: Oh, you said logan right
1: yep seven was logan six was blamer 2049 number five was star wars the last jedi star wars is the biggest media franchise known to man right mm-hmm. by far the shrewdest business move of all time when they bought disney bought lucasfilm from george lucas for four plus billion dollars shrewd yeah crazy they've made uh, just about four billion at the box office between three movies they've released so far force awakens rogue one last jedi and that's not including toys and everything from the cartoons everything else i mean
0: what a colossal
1: acquisition again it's ridiculous that it it was only four billion when uh the developers of Candy Crush King were sold for like 16 billion. <laughs> yeah. Fucking nuts. Or WhatsApp, something that's only going to make money from ads, was sold for around 15. Okay, so, <laughs> what, what a shrewd move. But anyway, the fact that The Last Jedi changes expectations for Star Wars, it takes everything you think you know about the franchise. And how the franchise works, how the storytelling in the franchise works, and it kind of turns that on its head for uh, to to great effect. It's the first Star Wars movie to truly have the touch of an excellent director. We talked about Ryan Johnson's choices in our review, which of course check that out. It's like a forty minute review of Star Wars, so we, we had a lot to expound upon. But you know that scene with Laura Dern in a, the hyperspace scene when it goes black and white. It's uh, truly a uh, majestic scene that you know only some directors would even think of pulling off. Because Star Wars is so influential and because we know Star Wars is not going to go away anytime soon, uh, in term, uh, especially even on the big screen, it's, it's not going to let up. Star Wars cannot be the same old thing it always was. And while some people just kind of feel betrayed about the treatment of Luke Skywalker as a character, they don't like that decision. I think overall, this was the right move to make given the fact that these movies are not going to stop and the fact that lucasfilm and disney had the foresight to understand that they cannot let star wars get stale they cannot let the fatigue happen that they took this chance and made a movie that is so great for so many different reasons whenever we talk about star wars it had
0: to be on my list mark hamill himself said if they had just made luke this like all-knowing wise jedi teacher
1: it's boring it, yeah, we'd seen it before, it.
0: right? So, do something different you know, if Luke Skywalker, even though he voiced initial concerns, is on board with with what Ryan Johnson did, I have to be on board with him, man. In the movie we talked about for 40 minutes like he okay. said, it was it was great.
1: Like one final note, Force Awakens was an excellent success for bringing people back. And the main critique was that it was a rehash of a new hope. Now when something is so the antithesis of a rehash, you're still mad. Like What do people want? Make up your fucking mind. (laughs) Yeah, like, what do you
0: really want? Yeah, so I'm just going to run through a couple on my list. For sake of time here, Get Out was number six on my list. Jordan Peele's uh, directorial debut, Daniel Kaluuya and Allison Williams, both fantastic in it. This is the type of movie, which is hard for me to say, because I don't really watch gay movies that much. You need to watch a couple times, because after the ending and after you see how it twists you the movie's totally different probably on second watch also i watched the video with jordan peele talking about all these like easter eggs that he put in there that i really want to go back and watch now because it's so deep and like detailed uh, overall just a really intense movie and i was definitely like clutching onto my couch watching it but yeah. probably the best scary movie i've seen in a long long time and Just for the fact that this was such a small movie that came out of nowhere to be like a juggernaut in the zeitgeist is is noteworthy. Jordan Peele is going to be a fucking great director moving forward.
1: I'm going to see it at some point just because I know I need to have it for my critical palate. But I do, (laughs) man, do I live with horror movies. So I've kind of been going to watch, (laughs) which is why I felt okay not seeing it before we do the list because I knew I probably wouldn't have it in my top ten anyway but yeah. I, I will see at some point. I'm just going to jump
0: into number five. I I think you have it on your list. Good time.
1: Number four for me. Finally, talking
0: about, about the Safdie brothers, man. This is basically just Robert Pattinson, Russell Westbrooking his way through the film and just being force and yep. fantastic and so like subtle he doesn't i mean he talks a, a lot in the beginning but i feel like as it goes on he's just more and more inside his head and for that to happen to a character it becomes really tough to like portray that but he does such a good job of just like being ruthless but also like scared and like running into like dead end after dead end and he's just fantastic dude. i can't really say enough about his performance yeah
1: it's such a visceral crime movie you know, I mean, I think it's it's probably a seminal New York crime movie, honestly. Yeah. So physical, you know, the whole movie, the, the style of filmmaking. Uh, the Safdies obviously really bust down the scene with this, and I'm really curious to see what they do next now that they'll get a little more money for the next film. But... Uh, Man, good time. Another success from A24. Just killing it. And this, man, it's just such a engrossing experience to watch the movie.
0: Yeah, and also the soundtrack that they had with it was like this like 80s high-pitched guitar, like screeching tone. It just like brought a level of stress to the movie that I think really added to it. So, A24 like you said continuing to kill it. It was number 4 on your list. So I'll jump to my number 4 as well. Movie, I don't know if if it's going to make your list. The Big Sick,
1: number 21 for me.
0: Number 21. I liked it. Michael Showalter directing. Kumail Nanjiami. Uh, Ray Romano. Holly Hunter. All getting different times Zoka to shine. Down. We'll talk about those like personal stories that really like, grabbed me this year. This movie made me laugh. Probably some of the hardest I have all year. And it also made me very emotional at points. And putting myself in that situation is just very stressful and heartbreaking. It also does a really good job mm-hmm. of looking at cultural differences. And the roles that those play in relationships, and in grief, and in growing up, you know. And for this being Kumail's like first leading role, I thought he was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we've seen him on uh, Silicon Valley, but to see him kind of be able to carry a movie like this was encouraging. Also, Bo Burnham plays one of his friends, which was also really funny in this. Yep, definitely movie I recommend checking out. Ray Romano's performance, kind of the same as Sandler, fantastic in a complimentary role.
1: Yeah, it'll get a Best Picture nomination. That uh, seems pretty likely. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. Go check it out.
0: Yeah, for free. Unless, well, you have to pay for Prime, but for free after that. Uh, what, what would be number three on your list?
1: Number three on my list is Dunkirk from Christopher Nolan.
0: I have that at number one. Hell yeah.
1: Man, this is, before we get into it, this is another movie that I think the the common criticism that people had is just so dumb oh, the timeline stuff, its kind of doesn't make sense. Why did he have to go all Nolan on it? I'm like, it's not confusing. It's not One not hour, confusing. one day, one week. Right. Whoa. Yeah. Mind-blowing. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: can't keep that straight. Too hard. Yeah, man, this movie, when I think about it, I feel so much anxiety because that's how I felt the entire movie. It, I was a ball of anxiety, basically from like the 10-minute mark on. It was crazy.
1: Uh, so well, tense.
0: Yeah, well, why did it fall number three on your
1: list? Why did you have it so high? I mean, for starters, Tom Hardy wears a mask again, and it's not a bad <laughs> thing, you know, as the pilot. Yep. The whole arc of his character, especially how it ends, I thought was beautiful. Beautiful. But yeah, so, it's funny, there's been three movies this year about Churchill, mm-hmm. Darkest Hour, the other one, that was 22 in my list, Gary Oldman's performance we'll be talking about come Oscar time, but that movie references the events of Dunkirk and then Christopher Nolan's, like, the companion piece about the actual event of, you know, the battle and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the evacuation, rather, not really a battle. But you have the the goat Rylance just crushing it in a sweater on a boat. You have <laughs> Harry Styles somehow really overachieving as an actor. Mm-hmm. And then you just have, like, British Tumblr boy A. Uh, what's his name? Uh... Fion whitehead right Yep. but i mean the performances are great across uh, barry keown yeah uh, he's the is uh george who dies right he's in killing the sacred deer he's another rising star uh so the perform- it's is kenneth Branagh, uh yep. fucking mean mugging Killian on the, murphy um oh yeah of course nolan favorite <laughs> i mean the performance it's just a stack cast of course nolan has the kind of pull but his attention to detail with 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 the camera Anyone who's seen anyone should have everyone should have seen his movies by now. If you're listening to this again, he he breaks new ground. I mean, the, the idea of him doing a war movie was it's kind of like a you know like a, like a fantasy proposition. But you know the fact that he actually did it and gave it his own touch. I mean, the score, the 35 millimeter experience. If you saw that, I mean, everything about it is just such an experience, and mm-hmm. it's just such a powerful powerful film. And I, I mean, if you just want to relegate it to being a war movie, I mean, it's the best war movie. Since at least Hurt Locker, that was a '09. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if not I better, agree. it's it, it's it's quite the experience.
0: Yeah, and you know, I saw a recent criticism about how there isn't enough character work in the movie, and I think that was actually the, the point was that you don't get to right. know a lot of these characters because these characters weren't people that really mattered in like the larger scheme of things. But in terms of this battle, there were just these these pieces about the yeah. about this overall struggle and this this desperation. I mean, every it, for like the first hour and 30 minutes of the movie it's just dead end after dead end after dead end until finally mark rylance leading those like tugboats across the channel yep. man i really can't say enough and like you talked about the score the way that he shot certain things like when he was when you hear the planes coming in but you don't actually see them and then you just see them all like duck their heads and like just the sheer yep. terror in their faces it's, in
1: synchronization yeah
0: yep it was just amazing this movie i think is the one that stuck with me the most and you said it probably best but just as a war movie it's probably one of the most realistic depictions of of war at that time that we've had i mean think about saving private ryan that like opening scene but like for a whole movie to focus on this one battle that was a couple like what a week long but just phenomenal phenomenal can't say enough what was your
1: number two well, one last thing on Nolan is is going to get a lot of nominations, but you know Nolan's never won Best Director, and this is kind of interesting Oscar year. We'll talk about this at a later date more as Pat, you see more Oscar movies, and you know we do our predictions. But I don't know if there's a true front runner for Best Director this year, despite a lot of great films. So I wonder if Nolan could perhaps finally crack that code and get that award. We'll see. I hope so. Yeah, number two on my list is Call Me by Your Name from Luca uh, Guadagnino and starring Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet and you know, spaced off of the uh, acclaimed gay romance novel of the same name from uh, I believe 07 and this film is getting a lot of attention of course for its performances specifically Chalamet I think Chalamet right now is my best actor pick if I had to wow. think about it today it's between him and Gary Oldman for the darkest hour and Gary Oldman uh, not to spoil the Congo at a later date but Gary Oldman kind of see is a more of like a physical performance and it's also like you know a career achievement award because he's obviously such a great actor mm-hmm. but I mean Chalamet is only 21 he it's such a moving performance and this whole movie has really stuck with me the past you know I saw it about a week ago and I, I've been thinking about the lot, especially the end and you know I saw some reviewers put it really well it's, it's a gay story without the self-loathing
0: hmm.
1: it's not about the coming out of the closet uh, aspect right. or the social anxiety. It's not about that. It's just about it's about the love story in the summer in Italy. And it's man, it's such such a beautiful movie. The locations are, are beautiful as well, it was shot in Italy. And Army Hammer probably will miss out on, on a nomination, but he was very good as the foil, as the relationship, the, the boy to uh to Chalamet. And man, Chalamet's performance will really stick with me a long time. It was uh, really good. And the movie might be a little too long. It takes a little while to get going, but man by the end it's it's so powerful
0: i heard there was a great scene of uh, army hammer dancing which is pretty much it, in and of itself made me want to go see yeah
1: movie. i think that's actually been clipped out you can probably find that scene already if you're really interested okay but yeah it takes place in uh the 70s or 80s shit i forget which one but yeah this is a song uh the psychedelic furs uh song and i I've, since it's the song's kind of stuck in my head now i've been youtubing <laughs> it a lot but yeah it's a great dance scene there's an awesome scene that's famous from the book the peach don't want to spoil it i can't forget michael stahlberg as chalamet's dad man that guy had a fucking year dude he's in call me by your name he's in the post and he's in the shape of water and he was also in fargo season three he's probably gonna join john c riley as the only actor since the 1930s to be in three best picture nominees in the same year john Quite c
0: riley year. i would never have guessed him to be yeah
1: it first. was uh gangs of new york something else in chicago which one for John C. Riley? Was it was it Boogie
0: yeah. Nights nice that year?
1: No, that's a nineties movie.
0: Is it ninety seven? Yeah, it m- must be. What else could that have been? That that's crazy. though. John C. Riley. Uh, no, I definitely want to see. This is one of the ones that's up there on my list, along with Itanya that I really want to see.
1: Number two on my list was Lady Bird. Yep, that was number one for me.
0: Yeah, I mean we we reviewed it. Greta Gerwig's directorial debut. Saoirse Ronan, Laura Metcalf. That right there is the movie. It's this about this dynamic of the, this mother daughter. Lady Bird. Uh, growing up and i mean i think i put this number two just for the fact that it made dave matthews relevant in 2017 <laughs> yep <laughs> but but beyond that i mean just really the story it tells about this you know teenage girl and growing up and learning herself learning more about her mom you know that ending scene where she gives her mom a phone call and it shows her like driving for the first time in sacramento the same way you saw her mom do throughout the entire movie just really moving and touching also like the like the little moments like the when she confronts her ex-boyfriend about him being gay and he just falls apart who, who played him about i forgot to write that down lucas Lose. hedges yeah lucas hedges a fucking phenomenal performance by him every performance in this I, I i can't pick out one that i was like eh, that wasn't so great like every actor in this was fantastic what, what was the number uh, one on your list
1: yeah, Lucas Hedges, he was in Three Billboards as well, and Chalamet's in Lady Bird and Calling By Your Name. So those guys, two young stars, we'll, we'll, we'll see them for a long time for sure. Yeah, so this movie really, really moved me by the end, and it's such a pleasurable movie. I don't think there's any bad scenes in it. There's no fat on the movie at all. The reason this movie is so, so strong is because you didn't have to be coming up in 2002-era Sacramento or anywhere in the country to feel uh, moved by this film. That's a little before our time. I, I was We were in high school in '02, but it still struck me all the same. Obviously, it really hits a nostalgic chord for people that age. Uh, so Greta Gerwig's age, really. But it's also really striking a nerve for people, you know, in their '60s. People like Laurie Metcalf, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it speaks to seemingly everyone, and I think the reason it does that is because it's such a pleasurable movie. It's such a relatable film. And the performances, of course, are great. I mean, everything we talked about has great performances. No, no question about that. I don't think La- Lady Bird's my number one film. I think it's just the most pleasurable experience I had this year. And it depends how you want to rank your list. Not the most influential film of the year, but that's not what my list is. And I don't think it'll win Best Picture. I said this before, but the statement that Lady Bird winning Best Picture probably isn't strong enough for the Academy, mm-hmm. uh, given the competition. It is a pretty strong year. But that being said, I think it's just it's just a joy to watch, and I look forward to see, seeing it again.
0: Absolutely. I know, I don't get enough chances to re-watch movies, but this is one I'll definitely make time for next year. It, it should be noted, we haven't had a chance to watch Phantom Thread or The Post right. when we record this. We don't get screeners yet, but if anyone wants to send us screeners, yeah. hey... Uh, our DMs are open. Speaking of DMs, at Nostalgia give us your thoughts on our list. Give us uh, your picks for your top 10 list at Martin Swagger and at Sheeny World Peace, respectively, for our own Twitters, where Dave leaves his reviews of all the movies he's been seeing after the fact. Any last thoughts on the year 2017 in movies?
1: No, I think I think we I think we nailed it, man. But uh, just lastly, I'm gonna have my whole list. I've seen 42 movies thus far. I'm gonna see Molly's Game, I think, tomorrow. And then obviously fan Thread in the post. Very eager to see those. So I'll be updating my list as I see more movies throughout January. But you can see my whole list and uh, you know my you know, blurb about each movie at mediumcom And So a lot of movies this year, most movies I've ever seen one year in the theaters or in general. So I wanted to uh, wanted to expound about that. So uh, when you're done uh, sharing the pod with a friend, if you're interested, you can read about my worst movie of the year thus far. Do you have a guess what it is, Pat?
0: Worst movie of the year. Oh man. That that you saw or that. Yeah, that I've old. seen.
1: I have a big four for my bad films. Can't,
0: <laughs> it can't it can't be Justice League. No.
1: Justice League is uh
0: thirty five of forty two. Uh, okay. I I can't I can't think of what what it would
1: be right now. So so I saw Suburbicon and Wonder Wheel because I had movie pass. Those movies wanna be so great, but they're really bad. Forty one <laughs> is Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Uh, oh, jack sparrow man. fucking sucks now uh, <laughs> man did i hate it but my worst movie of the year is a movie that we actually were intrigued by when we saw the trailer came out back in i believe april uh, with tom hanks and emma watson uh-huh. the circle
0: the circle i see it on amazon prime and i'm like should i watch this and i'm like no like I just can't bring myself to do it.
1: Honestly, and John Boyega too. Oh, hate, well, he's barely in the movie. It's like a 16-year-old a who thinks he's so smart was like, "Yo, dog, surveillance, man, they're going to get you." And it's just it's not smart. It's so cookie cutter. It's actually annoying because it does not respect the audience's intelligence. <laughs> I was like I was pretty annoyed by the time watching. I was like, "Really? Like as a clear Tom Hanks uh cash grab for sure." And I'm just Sat on that Emma Watson uh, wasted her time with it, you know. So yeah, The Circle's the worst movie I saw this year. See, the thing is, I don't really see a ton of bad
0: movies. I guess I think I only, uh, until Movie Pass, I was only going to like the movies I was absolutely knew I was I would like or get something out of. So yeah, Movie Pass might I might have a worst of the year next year too because I'm right. planning to use that Movie Pass and abuse it as much as I possibly can. Hell yeah, dog. So yeah, again, hit us up on Twitter. But until 2018. Nostalgia Pod signing off.